Appamata and its programs are supported by your generosity and your generosity and support makes such a difference. You can find a link for contributions on the website at appamata.org. Thank you. Prepare for Dharma talk. I will be just thrilled if you can hear this. Sweet Joel has been working with me on coming up with stuff. Okay. Well, good morning. Uh, welcome to all of you who have joined us today on this chilly Valentine's. I noticed that uh, Paul and uh, Connie were appropriately attired and, and Lauren, maybe some others I haven't seen. And I want to welcome all of you who are listening to the recordings on our website. Considering what has been going on in America and probably in the rest of the world, I thought that a discussion on reality might be a good topic. With Buddhism, the biggest problem isn't sin, as with religious traditions, but ignorance, our fundamental misunderstanding of reality. The content of this Dharma talk comes from an article in Lion's Roar, cleverly entitled, Reality Isn't What You Think, by Andy Carr. Do things really exist as we see them? Mountains, streams, oceans, cities seem solid and reliable. Past, present, and future seem like three separate distinctive things. This way of thinking allows us to see I and mine. This is how it seems to almost everyone all the time. Yet even with our limited view, we can see that things change. And when we explore deeper, we have to admit that things are always changing at every moment. And this is a good thing. If things didn't change the way we tend to feel they don't, we'd be stuck. We wouldn't be capable of breaking out of our reactive self we would be incapable of experiencing liberation, the main promise of Buddhism. Seeing the world from a larger, continuous, non-permanent perspective gives us the vision to let go of the limited perspective of the pain of birth, sickness, old age, and death. If things existed the way we see them, then all our fears would be justified and our hopes worth struggling for. The cycle of birth, old age, sickness, and death would be the final truth. The Buddha would be wrong and ego would exist and egolessness would be impossible. It would be Buddhism that was a delusion. There seems to be a contradiction between the reality we experience on a daily basis and the reality described by the Buddha. It comes from our viewing the world as from a very self-centered perspective, 
a very limited view. The contradiction between the reality we experience and the one the Buddha described exists because the way things appear to us is not the way things truly are. This is because there are two ways of seeing everything. One is a view that is limited by our personal perspective, that things are solid and separate. The other is an expansive view that looks outside ourselves. Where we see the world as solid, confirming, confining, and uh, limited, Buddhas see the world as open, spacious, and relaxed. Investigating the difference between the way the world appears to us and the reality proclaimed by the Buddha is our key practice. Our seeing is obscured by basic ignorance and the delusion arising from that ignorance. Our contemplative practice invites us to question what we experience. It offers a good method for analyzing whether or not things are solid, separate, and lasting as we think they are. The common way appear, the common way things appear to our ignorant view is called apparent reality. It is not the way things really are. It is only the way things appear to us. Through practice, we come to a place where we can see past our basic ignorance of viewing the world as consisting of things that are solid and separate to recognizing the fluid interconnected world that is changing continually. We come to understand as our silent, as our on silent illumination chant states, here there is not a single thing from the tiniest hair or speck of dust outside yourself. This study in recognize is a study of recognizing no self or emptiness. The most fruitful way of comprehending this second way of seeing things, the less obvious one of no self or emptiness is through the expansive practice. Hmm. Okay, I just uh, lost my screen. Well, Nancy, uh, I may not be able to share the screen. Can you see the screen now? I already shared. I can see your, oh, great. Okay, great. I lost my, um, my text, so we're good. All right. Um, the most fruitful way of comprehending this second way of seeing things, the less obvious one of no self and emptiness is through the expansive practice of uh, contemplation. This is a practice of listening to the teachings, contemplating their meaning and meditation. Listening to the teachings is pretty straightforward. 
you're doing it right now. You're on the road to comprehending emptiness. The contemplation, to contemplate the meaning of teachings is to begin by asking how the teaching relates to you and your experiences. The second way is to examine emptiness is to look at the nature of the question or issue you're examining. Is it of real substance or is it a projection of mind? A third way is to use logical analysis to clarify your understanding. You can ask yourself a series of questions such as, is this body one thing or many things? It must be one or the other to truly exist. Meditation transforms the intellectual understanding developed by contemplation into realization or embodiment. Today, we are going to focus on contemplation, contemplating how the teachings can be applied to our lived experience of reality. I'm going to start by giving two examples of how I was able to expand my view of reality, and then we'll break into small groups to experience expanding our own views of reality. The first morning I returned to the Zendo to facilitate morning Zazen after Peg had left to live in Chicago, I was filled with sadness. Of course, the house was dark and cold when I entered. I remembered what it was like entering when Peg was there. It was always light and warm or cool when needed. Peg was almost always there with her delighted smile greeting me as I entered. It took me back to my childhood. My father was a deacon in our tiny fundamentalist uh, Texas Panhandle Church where we often had weather like we are experiencing in Austin right now. Sunday was a different time for us. We were on a different schedule. Mother was rushing about trying to do the impossible, to be in two places at once. She was, had prepared breakfast and had cleaned up and she was trying to orchestrate dinner, as we called it, uh, what, occurring, baking while she was at church so that it would be ready when we were at home and had returned. And everyone was busy dressing in our Sunday best clothes. Every, each Sunday morning, Daddy would leave this special family time of us all with the same message, mission, to go to the church building to set the thermostat to just the right temperature so that when the congregation arrived at the, the building would be just as inviting as Peg had made her house for us. Obviously, this was in the days before Nest thermostats that could be handled from afar and the time of that many other things didn't exist. I always resented Daddy having to leave early and then return to go to church with us. Why did Daddy always have to do it? Why couldn't someone else do it? 
Why did our special time together have to be interrupted every Sunday? This was my reality, that my poor daddy had this chore he had to do Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. This was the story I had projected onto the screen of my lived experience. However, after having experienced all of Peg's generosity and love for all these years, I suddenly saw my father's departure every Sunday morning to set the thermometer at the church in a different light. What if daddy hadn't seen it as a chore at all? What if he was filled with the generosity that filled Peg and that he did this as an act of love for all the people who were going to come to worship that day? It certainly made more sense. I never once heard him complain about having to do this duty. And he was a loving, caring man. This was a very meaningful realization for me. All these years I had carried this resentment, this protection for my father. It was just a tiny memory in my psyche, but still it was there. This new perspective, this new reality freed me from a grudge I had been holding. I offer this as an example of how our fixed perspective and small view can keep us stuck. The second example occurred when I was so ill with cancer. If you heard my Way Seeking Mind talk, you will remember this story. Often on the floor throughout my marriage, I would find used floss. I projected quite a story onto this occurrence and just who did he think was going to pick this up or something like that as I gradually picked, as I grudgingly picked it up. But then there came a time when I was so ill that my dear partner was doing absolutely everything. All he had done before, now all I had done, plus he was now caring for me. As I sat on the couch one evening, I happened to spy some used floss on the floor. I was absolutely delighted to see it. This was something I could do. This was a way I could contribute to our life together. I was still able to reach down, pick the floss up off the floor and throw it away. It was the very same situation, floss on the floor. But I had gone from begrudging the act to absolutely delighting that I had the opportunity to do it. Nothing had changed but my sense of reality. I had stopped viewing life through my self-centered lens and had been able to take a bigger perspective, a perspective outside myself. I started recognizing the generosity around me and I grew into it. 
Today, I would like you to identify, if you can, something in your life that is causing suffering. It might be a chore or a situation. Examine your feelings around your suffering. See if you can see it in a more expansive way. Would taking on the paramita of generosity help you feel the experience more expansively? We're going to break into groups of three for 25 minutes. Spend the first five minutes in silence, settling and then looking for something in your life causing you suffering that you might experiment with and see if you could view it more expansively. Next, each person will have five minutes to discuss what came up for them and use the remaining time for group sharing about the experience. Well, hello, it, it looks like maybe everyone's back now. Oh, there's, there's Becky, maybe a few more are coming. Um, I didn't get a chance to be in a breakout group because I was afraid I'd go mute again. So I'd love to hear uh, some of the things that uh, you experienced or how it went. But after we all told our suffering, it just it just appeared to me, and I mentioned this that that our suffering was all made up, and that we have that choice. I didn't say this, but that we have this choice of is that the story we're going to make up so that we can suffer? And then I have this tree. I have these two trees right outside my window that I've been watching this morning, and one of them have has a little blossom or something at the end of every branch. They're both pecan trees and the other one doesn't have any of these. And I've been kind of curious about what's going on there, but, but you know, and how the one feels, I, I was talking about judgment and how I feel like in many situations I'm being judged. And so I'm judging these trees and yeah, you know, more, more stories. <laughs> and I'm sure they're, they're really cool about all this, you know, well, I'm going to yeah. do that next week or whatever the blossoming. But. Yeah. Yeah. When it's time. Yeah. Oh, uh, Marin, you're muted. Can you unmute Marin? Oh, you can't. Uh, Nancy, can you help her? There you go. Yeah, no, I can, but I didn't. Uh, it's fine. No worries. <laughs> Somebody else was talking. That's good. Uh, well, it's your turn now. I was just commenting on what Kim was saying, that uh, one of the trees is suffering because it blossomed and it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna be icy, and the other one is feeling really, uh, really good that <laughs> that waited. <laughs> Interesting <Yes>. stories. <laughs> yes. Uh, Laurie. 
Can you unmute? Well, I presume I can. Yes. Um, so in our group, um, we were talking about different experiences that where, <clears throat> well, it's kind of like in your situation where that change, what is it that brings about that change? I mean, it's such a, um, it's such a remarkable thing when your, your, your perspective changes and it alters things completely. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like day and night. Yes. It's like that, that, what is that? It's a hair's breadth between mm -hmm. good and evil or yeah. something. Um, and I, for myself, I can't say what, in, what has caused, I mean, I can say practice has affected me for sure. But what, what affected me in one particular moment that it changed everything? Um, you know, I can't say what that, what that was. What was it, it, to me, it was not a thought, a particular thought about, I'm going to do this. I feel certain that it wasn't that, but I, that's my sense. It's more like some other knowing or I don't know. That, that's, yeah. I might offer that it's awareness. It's our awareness practice that we get all this and, and we start expanding how we're thinking. And then one day, one moment. Yeah. I, I kind of think so too. And it's, it's like I say, it's a different knowing or just a spontaneous, almost mm -hmm. knowing of the right, I hate to say right, but that uh, the, the action that you're taking is something that's going to have an ex expansive effect. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I just wanted to comment on that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Joey. Oh, oh, good. I'm unmuted. Okay. Um, well, I was in a breakout room with Maria, who just described a, a, a simple but very remarkable process of uh, meeting parts of herself, parts of herself that w would get wounded in uh, all too. And Maria, I'm, I hope I'm not going to do something terrible to what you said. They would get wounded in, in um, what had become all too commonplace react uh, or, or meetings with other people uh, in which they would say wounding things to her. They were members of her own family who would say things that were wounding to her. And so she, for a while, was able to, as she described, disengage enough to not make the the moment worse by reacting in the moment but that there was more work to be done as she as she has found and she found the resources to to take time for herself to to bring just a, a moment of uh, practice realization into it and say here i am i'm having these reactions that part of me that that is hurt deserves to be heard deserves to be recognized as 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 um, a real part of me, uh, even uh, to to the extent that anything within us is real, uh, but that but that um, the to to not try and push away and ignore feelings and and those could be anxiety. And she, she at the end she was talking about how in her practice she makes a real point of inviting the most anxious parts of herself. To participate in the sitting with her, and I and I said, you know, that's so interesting. And the, I have a common 
thing that I, I often, while I'm sitting, have a <coughs> image of a young part of me who has just been humiliated by my older brother. And, and I invite that part to come and sit in the body, in my body right now as an adult and, and be literally held within me as an adult and um, to feel the ease with, uh, which I am, with which I'm breathing, you know, and the, the relaxation of my muscles. And so that, that, so that it can let go of the, the painful tightness that it's experiencing, you know. And I've done this many times because that part renews over and over again. And but what, but what Maria was pointing to was also the possibility that I could invite the most critical parts of me in, the, the angriest and most critical parts, and let them sit with the same sort of ease. And it had never occurred to me to do that, you know? And uh, anyway, I feel really grateful for that. So thank you, Maria, and thanks for listening to me. Thank you, Joe. Maria, did you want to add anything after? Okay. Uh, Paul, you had had your hand up. Thank you. I'll uh, try to be quick. Um, I was in a breakout room with Susan, and we, we were, uh, our discussion was around the current political discourse that, um, and, and we were talking about the um, us and them ideas, the and then the far right and the dangers associated with this current political climate, the real true dangers, uh, you know, harm to people. And um, interestingly, it turned out that um, I have a neighbor who had a visitor, her nephew, and uh, after the nephew had left, she told me uh, in the spirit of, you know, just being a good neighbor, she told me that the visitor, her nephew, had been to Washington DC and he participated in the riots in, at the Capitol. And of course, you know, that uh, very alarming. Um, and um, uh, trying to be a good neighbor because she was a good neighbor just to let me know about that. And uh, so uh, uh, she told me a little bit more about him. He, the individual, the, her nephew had, she told me that he had a history of mental illness and, and she told me that um, she was visiting with him and he said that they talked and he said he just wanted to have a life where somebody could care for him and that he could care for them and he could have a family. He wanted to have a relationship. And so when she said that, of course, before she said it, you know, I'm thinking all this really bad stuff, the harm and, and the differences and the us and them idea. And then after she told me that, of course, it helped me to recognize that he's human and he has some of the basic needs, the basic ideas that we all have, just wanting to be respected and cared for. I still have difficulty with it because of, because of, because of my differences with that view. Um, and I wish, and I know that your talk this morning involved a different perspective on things so that uh, it can relieve somewhat the suffering that we have. And um, I'm not sure that I've come to see that different perspective in this situation. Um, it did help a lot to recognize his humanity when she told me a little bit more about him. And so I tried to speak about that 
aspect of it versus the fear and the danger and the, the, the stuff that happens. So uh, thanks, Susan, for having that conversation with us this morning. And uh, that was what we talked about. Thank you, Paul. And while it may seem in your mind that you're still stuck over here, what I heard was an opening up and uh, it's a beginning. And, you know, that's what we're working on. It's very encouraging, yeah. I wanna add something too. I just, I think the practice edge for me is, if it's possible even, is distinguishing between um, harmful actions outside of myself. Like, oh, I can identify that thing I'm seeing and hearing and learning about is harmful. And um, detaching myself or, uh, making sure that I don't suffer because of it. Like running, running the possibilities over in my mind or the fear or whatever. But like, I do believe harmful things are happening. <laughs> and so, you know, and I also am suffering to some degree because I believe these harmful things are happening. And so I don't want to talk myself out of believing that harmful things are happening. I think I need clarity about that and all of that. But that's kind of, not, that's the practice edge for me. Well, and, and that's the life we live in. Um, it isn't the way we want it to be. There will be harmful things. And uh, our position is to be in the moment when harmful things happen in front of us, we need to respond in a way that is helpful for all. And yet knowing that there are harmful things going on elsewhere and that is life as it is. And we do what we can and we, we let go of the outcome. As hard as that is. <laughs> Can I add something? Please. Uh, yeah, it was more off the back of, um, I was speaking to Joel earlier and it was kind of, we then the minute comes in, doesn't it? And we get cut off, <laughs> we get zoomed off. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it, it was just about the the anxiety, the, the talking about the anxiety side of things and how I've learned that um, the anxiety that I have is, is, has been knocking on my door all my life saying practice practice like I've always tried to push it away and get rid of it and now it's kind of because I've invited it in mm -hmm. and I sit with it it's kind of it helps me to realize when I'm feeling anxious when I have certain tensions in my body I know my thinking's off I know that somehow I'm not thinking right so I'll sit with the anxiety and I'll sit with that part of me and I'll look at where, where I'm going, what's going on here, where, where's my thinking off kilter, you know, that's making me this scared or this anxious or this frightened. Mm -hmm. And it's really become a valuable part of my practice where, where I, you know, when I start having those feelings, it, it's like it's an opportunity to sit and to really look at whether I'm looking through that glazed window and distorting everything or whether I'm looking clearly. And it's the tensions, identifying the different tensions in my body 
and then knowing that, right, there's, there's something I'm not looking at clearly here that's disturbing my whole system. And I need to sit back and just sit and meditate for a while and just really look at that and be with that in a place of compassion towards that while seeing where it is I'm not thinking quite right. And I found that really valuable in my practice. It's, it's been knocking on my door all my life and I've just been saying, go away, go away. And now I've said, come in and we're, we're making friends. <laughs> you know, we're learning about what this is about and, you know, where I'm going wrong with certain thinking and, you know, scaring myself to death over things that I don't necessarily have to do, have to take that stance or that perspective. And it's become a real source of nourishment and practice and and an information mm. as well. So I just what a teaching, to... Maria, uh, that this thing that, you know, all of your life you've been pushing back and now you've made that turn and welcoming it in and learning from it that uh, it, is, it is valuable to you. That, that's just wonderful. Yeah, I've spent a long time trying to get rid of it and that didn't work. Yeah, yeah, it didn't work, <laughs> did it? <laughs> I'm gonna let you. Because <laughs> no. I hadn't learned what it needed to teach me yeah. and what it's still teaching me. Can I just add one thing, Joan? Please. <clears throat> so, um, you know, in, in our group towards the end, um, uh, we were talking about this um, story that Joko Beck uh, teaches in one of her, one of her um, talks with one of her students where she said, okay, if you're, you're in a rowboat and you're going, you know, really nice and smoothly down the stream, and then this other boat jams into you, you know, like, what do you feel like you, you know, you're yelling at, at the person in the boat and blah, blah, blah. She said, well, what if there's nobody in the boat that hit you? How do you feel then? And the whole, <laughs> you know, that was, that has been so meaningful for me. So, you know, I think practice in general teaches us to challenge when we get very overwhelmed with emotion and especially hurt. And um, that, that little story has just um, really helped me a lot. So I offer it. Like there's usually nobody in the boat. There's reasons why we respond or tend to respond, but you know, it's different. Thank you. And Kathy, did I see your hand? Uh, you're muted, yeah. You did. I have a short story. Um, I, I said, as, as I'm getting older, I have more things to look at. And one of the things that happened recently I, it was the relationship with a cousin who's three years older than I am. And um, she, for some reason, uh, said, well, they loved you more than me, meaning my grandparents, or, or I, more than me and my brother, actually. And I was just so taken with that. And I stopped and I, I looked at her and said, oh, I wonder if that had to do with the fact that my mother during the war went back, 
World War II, went back to live with her parents. And that's where I was born. And we stayed there for two, two and a half years until my father joined us again. And she had no idea of that history. Mm -hmm. She was a kid also. And nobody had any reason to tell her. And she was so amazed at that. And it changed our relationship. And the last time I talked with her, she said, I really miss seeing you. Yeah. Yeah, it was really dear. But that's that. I don't know if I would have caught that before. I think that it's learning that staying in the present. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, skillful means. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been so rich. Thank you all for sharing. Uh, and uh, we will have uh, service now. I, before we do, I want to be, do a big thank you for Nancy. She has turned somersaults for this, uh, for us all <laughs> being able to have this today. Yay, Nancy. <laughs> Prepare for service. <laughs>